Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The president's priorities have moved forward, including construction work on new barriers at our border with Mexico. In a world gone haywire, sometimes art is the only thing that can make sense of it all. Construction has not slowed during the coronavirus pandemic. This is the Chronicles of Now, where we ask writers to dream up short stories inspired by the news. I'm Ashley Ford. Since the end of February, some 50 miles of barriers has been built. When most of the country shut down for the pandemic, work on the border barrier actually accelerated. In June, Trump visited a section of the wall in Yuma, Arizona. This is the most powerful and comprehensive border wall structure anywhere in the world. It's got technology that nobody would even believe. Trump has promised more than 500 miles of border wall by early next year, but the reality, only about three miles of new barrier where none previously existed have been built by the Trump administration so far. The things that Trump was imagining about what the wall should look like and what features it should have were just so batshit crazy. That's John Ray, the author of five novels, and he's talking about news reports of Trump's most outlandish ideas for the wall. It was kind of like, it was already in the realm of science fiction before the first dollar was spent on this project. Whatever we think of Trump's wall, it's going to be around for years to come. If Trump wins the election, it may even get fully built. For this story, John Ray tries to answer the question, what will the wall be like in 30 or 40 years? The barrier doesn't think in terms of years. 
not in any conventional sense. But sufficient weather systems have traveled its length, doing their utmost to compromise its integrity. That the barrier is conscious, on a structural, elemental level, of having passed its prime. Evidence abounds. The barrier's steel and zinc alloy bollards, once so gracefully crenellated, so subtly iridescent in the blazing midday sun, are pockmarked and rust-streaked and crumpled. Its angled concrete fundament, made due to budgetary and environmental concerns from locally quarried trap rock, is fractured and eroded, and its six-inch electrified spikes have lost both their grace and their alternating current, to say nothing of their effectiveness at puncturing human flesh. Migrants, military personnel, traders, smugglers, small children, and beasts transgress the barrier with impunity. At certain key junctures, Magalis, Sonoita, virtually the entire state of Texas, there is no longer any barrier to speak of. One year ago, a bespectacled young man, apparently some kind of student, approached the barrier without the least sign of fear or trepidation, just outside of El Paso, and etched the following verses into its rust-encrusted pediment with a Swiss army knife. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. That was a low point, no question about it. A fresh humiliation to add to all the others. But in spite of such cruelties, in spite of humanity's glaringly obvious indifference to its plight, the barrier refuses to give in to despair. When things are at their worst, when morale is at its lowest, it has only to consider the trench. The trench, by any standard, is a thing of savage beauty. The years have wrought changes upon it as well, perhaps to a greater degree than on any of the barrier's other features. But these changes have themselves been things of wonder. Contrary to what the naysayers and the skeptics, not to mention the Army Corps of Engineers, argued when the trench was first proposed, it has not lost its water to evaporation, nor has its channel become clogged with falling rock or displaced earth. Not even the most passionate of the pro-barrier advocates have thus far managed to explain this. In defiance of all reason, of all sense, the trench endures. And that is by no means all. Of the 760 breeding pairs of American alligators imported at considerable public expense from Lake Okeechobee in 2020, 758 died of hunger within the first month. The remaining two pairs, however, have gone on to populate an astonishingly extensive expanse of the brackish, oily, oxygen-starved canal system with their scaly progeny. Though contact with the human population has admittedly dwindled over the years, dwindled, in fact, to the point that the barrier sometimes questions its own raison d'etre, 
the alligators have more than made up for the absence of people. The alligators have given the barrier an altogether more beautiful, more reasonable, more justifiable purpose. In a word, they give the barrier a reason to exist. If only the same thing could be said about the snakes. That was Status Report by John Ray. The narrator was Eduardo Ballerini. Hi, John. Hi, Ashley. How you doing? I'm good. So when you read the news late last year that Trump had privately talked about fortifying a border with a water-filled trench stocked with snakes or alligators, (laughs) which prompted aides to seek a cost estimate— Where did your mind go and know that that was what was happening in your reality? You know, the frustrating thing a lot of the times with fiction is you think, oh, my God, this is such an amazing story. But you have that reaction that a lot of fiction writers have, which is like, I could never put that in a novel. I could never put that in a story because everybody would be like, come on, please, you know. But in this case, it's like you can write fiction that actually has that cool aspect of nonfiction, which is, no, stupid and crazy as this seems, check the article in the Times, you know? (laughs) So all I had to do was basically take the given facts of the story and just extend it by another 36 years or however many years. That was the story. So construction on the real border barrier has continued even during the pandemic. Yeah. What do you think the wall means, like, to Trump, but also to America? Basically, for Trump, after he makes a very public declaration, the vast majority of these declarations he's never called out on. The wall, though, was so central to his campaign and was kind of like one of his first big symbols. He can't just totally bail on it. And it's an ongoing project that, of course, in theory, would take many, many years to complete. So I think it's become a kind of private nightmare for him. It was never financially feasible. It was certainly never going to actually do what it was supposed to do. You've lived most of your life in the U.S., but now you're chatting from Mexico City. That's right. Where you've been living on and off for the past couple of years. Yeah. How has living on the other side of the border changed your view of the wall? No one talks about the wall in Mexico. No one takes it seriously. It's just not one of the topics that people debate very fiercely, even when they're debating U.S.-Mexican relations. What is very much on the radar, though, is the relationship between the Mexican president and the current Mexican government and Trump and the enormous resources that Trump is insisting on the Mexican government diverting towards the border to keep migrants from crossing. Mm. The wall is kind of completely redundant. It's just completely beside the point. But in many other ways, Trump really is successfully bullying uh, the Mexican government into doing his bidding as far as immigration is concerned. Mm. It's a bummer. Do the people who you speak to there think he'll be reelected? I think the people that I've spoken to here sadly have less optimism about the coming election uh, than most Americans I've spoken to. And I would say less optimism than I do. They've been through so many disappointments that they really just don't expect very much of us, Ashley. You know, the occasional 
glimmer of rational thought and maybe voting in our best interests, I mean, that's enough to surprise them. Uh, they would be delighted if Trump got voted out. But what's interesting also is that they don't necessarily see Trump as the, as the sum total of the problem. Right. I mean, there's been bias against Mexico and misinformation about immigration since well before Trump got elected. Absolutely. I mean, the sad truth is that Obama was pretty harsh with his deportations as well. And Absolutely. before Obama, never mind about, you know, the Bush administration. So they would be delighted to see Trump go, but they wouldn't expect everything to just be, be lovely and equitable overnight. And neither should we. No. John Ray, thank you so much for coming on Chronicles of Now. Ashley, it was a delight. Thanks for having me. You can read my full interview with John Ray on our website, chronicles.fm, where you can also read the story you just heard and other short fiction torn from today's headlines. Our sound designer and composer is Bart Warshaw. Our producer is Curtis Fox, and our associate producer is Emily Rostick. Tyler Cabot is the executive producer and founder of Chronicles of Now. For Pushkin Industries, our executive producer is Letal Malad. Special thanks to Jacob Weisberg, Carly Migliori, Heather Fain, and Eric Sandler. For the Chronicles of Now podcast, I'm Ashley Ford. Thanks for listening. So we need to get this out of the way. Several years ago, I spent a few weeks living in your basement as I was what? recovering from a torn ACL. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Stop. Turn off the mic. <laughs> I remember that. I, I don't think I was home. I wasn't, I wasn't at my house at the time. But you uh, I remember, I remember this, this scenario. It all started with two federal agents who heard a rumor. She mentions, well, there is this alleged murder to have taken place. There was just one problem. They had no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill. It had been 15 years since this alleged murder. Was it still possible to unearth the truth? I used to watch um, the Unsolved Mystery shows, and I often thought about calling because I was like, this is, this is not right. How can a person get killed and no one knows anything? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear the entire season right now, ad-free, Subscribe to Pushkin Plus on our Apple Podcast show page or on pushkin.fm slash plus. Wow.